It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 N. 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 Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Criterion Project, the podcast where we talk about movies in the Criterion channel, the Criterion collection, or both. I am Conrado, as always, joined by the great Rachel Wagner. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing good. So fun to be here. That's right. And we have a special guest for this episode. It is the great Manish Mathur, who joins us from uh, a variety of endeavors, uh, you know, podcasting, and I believe some uh, writing as well. Uh, Manish, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. And please uh, introduce yourself to the listeners because you haven't been on this uh, podcast before. So tell them all about what you do. Yeah. So... I think I primarily host a podcast called It Pod to Be You, which is on uh, ruined comedies, romance films, all, all that good stuff. Uh, Conrado was on it a few months ago talking about the great High Fidelity. That's right. This is a really fun episode, so I encourage everyone to look look that up. Uh, Rachel, we got to have you on at yes. some point. I'd love that. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much what I do mostly. Otherwise, I, I write here and there. Uh, I have my own blog. I write for Talk Film Society the most... Um, and yeah, and you can just find me on you know Twitter, you know, goofing around <laughs> like everyone else. <laughs> That's right, and and you know there'll be links to to the podcast, uh, Pod to Be You, which is a great yeah. podcast. I had a great time uh, being a guest on it. There'll be a link in the description, and you know we'll link to uh, social media and all of that stuff for the people listening. Um, all right, today we're talking about an Italian movie, Senso, from 1954. But before we get into it, we'll go around as usual and talk a little bit about something we've been watching recently that we want to talk about. Um, Rachel, do you have something for us? Uh, yeah, so I uh, recently watched uh, the movie Body Heat uh, that's on the Criterion channel. And mm -hmm. I, I did it for cheap plug to, for our patron AFI Passions project that I'm doing for oh, right. uh, for the patrons uh, every week. I review one of the films on the AFI uh, 100 Passions 100 Films list, and so this was on there, and it was on Criterion Channel, uh, and it's definitely steamy, obviously by the title, <laughs> um, but uh, but it's very well done. And and if you're in this oppressive heat, like uh, we all are, uh, mm -hmm. it's a very atmospheric movie in that sense. Like it's just everything is hot and sweaty, and and uh, they're in Florida, uh, and uh, William. Uh, it's got uh, William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. They're in this affair. Uh, and it there's mystery and there's some surprises and it's written by Lawrence Kasdan who of course is written and directed uh, who is most famous for writing the Star Wars movies uh, uh, the early Star Wars movies and uh, mm -hmm. the Solo movie uh, so but this is obviously something very different uh, and uh, but if you want like a really film noir with a femme fatale with the with the you know clues what's happening with a lot of atmosphere I think it's a it's a really well made movie good movie but yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, so you liked, I was curious because it seems a little bit outside of your usual yeah. wheelhouse when it comes to romance, you know, and, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something I probably would ever watch again, uh, but mm -hmm. I could appreciate it for what it, what it is. And, and uh, it's very, very well made. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I like a, a little bit of steam in my romance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot about, uh, especially about Kathleen Turner's performance in it. I think mm -hmm. it was kind of a star-making role for her yeah. as kind of this femme fatale, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, they they love the uh, the uh, '80s saxophone music throughout the whole movie. Oh, really? <laughs> That's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so if you're into that kind of thing, then I think uh, it's. You enjoyed, and and if you if you sign up for the Patreon, you can read my my post that I wrote all about it. Sounds good. Um, how about you, Manish? Do you have something for us? Yeah, I I I had bought the Raging Bull Criterion uh, oh. 4K when when that came out earlier this month. So I watched that last weekend, and I'd seen it before. I watched it maybe about a decade ago, but I think it was on Netflix like a long, long time ago. So mm. I, I watched it then, but. 
it was good to revisit it because I hadn't seen it in a very long time. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, Martin Scorsese's uh, Jake LaMotta biopic with Rob De Niro and Joe Pesci. And um, and it's a really interesting movie. I think, obviously, you know, it's shot in this really crisp and clear black and white. Um, it's a really upsetting movie. It's basically, I mean, with the title being Raging Bull, uh, it's, <laughs> it does live up to that title. Um Robert De Niro is very, uh, he's very hard to watch in this movie. It's basically two hours of him alienating everyone and being a horrible person, but it's really gripping. And, um, you know, I think Scorsese, you know, he shoots these uh, boxing scenes so artistically and um, the rest of the film is done with such a, like, such an eye for this, um, you know, High, high kind of drama, high art, mm-hmm. like very mm-hmm. operatic in times. Very, it's kind of like a Greek tragedy um, in a lot of ways. So, uh, uh, yeah, obviously it's a classic. You know, um, everyone. I'm sh- <laughs> I was surprised that they put it into the Criterion Collection because I felt like there. I, was, I thought there had maybe been other editions of it that were out there, but mm-hmm. it is kind of hard to find actually. So I'm kind of glad that it got this, you know, royal treatment because it's. Uh, I think one of the great Scorsese movies. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he's made so many great ones, but this is really up there for me. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because doing research for this episode, um, Raging Bull and Scorsese came up a lot in terms of like people who had been influenced by the director and the movie that we'll, we're <laughs> talking about today. And definitely yeah. there's a, this, Lucchino Visconti is the director. There's a movie that I haven't seen yet, but I really want to now, especially called Rock, Rocco and His Brothers, that apparently mm-hmm. is also boxing related. That seems yeah. to be a big influence on Raging Bull. And obviously all that operatic element of it feels very much yeah. in line. I don't know if you've seen that one or if you have thoughts about that. Yeah, I've seen that. It's a great movie. Also very, very troubling, but um, it has that same kind of um, appeal to it, which is a, it is very operatic, very you know, dialed up to dialed up to eleven um, mm-hmm. in all the best ways, and yeah, I mean, I think you know, Scorsese's classic film influences really show up in ways you wouldn't really expect, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's what makes him such a great filmmaker, in my opinion, is that he's a, such a student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I had a period um, where I was kind of like a little down on Scorsese. I think because a couple of his really big movies didn't connect with me and I was starting to wonder what the fuss was about. Um, Raging Bull actually I watched around that time and I kind of didn't really get it but I have seen it another time since and and it really clicked for me the second time and I really enjoyed it and it really connected like you're saying with that kind of like over the top operatic element of it and that kind of like very unrestrained passion uh, in many ways you know not just the rage but some other emotions as well. Um, so yeah, so, so for sure. Um, Rachel, have you seen this one? I have not. I have not seen it. I have to do it for Blind Spot, one of these. But I think you're also kind of like you go a little hot and cold on on him, if yeah. I remember correctly. Well, I famously really did not like Silence. Uh, that was oh sure, <laughs> not for me. Uh, but I did like Goodfellas. I thought that was pretty entertaining. And we talked about the Age of Innocence on this podcast, oh, yeah, which I yeah, think yeah. we all enjoyed um, a lot. I like Hugo. Uh, sure it's a pretty good movie um but there's a bunch of his i haven't seen all right so yeah so maybe sometime in blind spot or maybe we'll talk about him again on this show sometime soon um i haven't seen that many things in the last couple of days but i did watch a, a movie um you know i'm a big charlie chaplin fan especially over the last couple of years i i tried to watch all of his movies that i hadn't seen before um and last year i watched all of the the feature length movies that he's in but i didn't there's a couple that he directed that he didn't act in that i hadn't seen and one of them is a movie from 1923 that i watched uh, a couple days ago called a woman of paris and it's um it was made in 1923 so this is right after the kid when he is at a you know big period of success in his career and he decides to make a kind of a melodrama a serious melodrama about a woman who uh, is is you know moves to Paris and leaves her love behind, and then she has a new life in Paris where she's kind of like the mistress of this rich 
guy, but then the you know the love of her life kind of c- returns, and there's like a you know a, a, like an internal confrontation of what should she do, you know? So like very melodramatic, very of its time, um, and very interesting to see Charlie Chaplin working as a director, not only not acting in the movies, but um, doing that straight up drama, you know, no comedy really at all in the movie. Um, apparently this was very kind of, it was a flop. It was a big flop at the time commercially, but the critics really liked it because apparently it was very elegantly done for the time. There's a lot of moments where information is delivered in a way that it feels very kind of like there's a moment when, you know, the guy comes to visit her and then he sees, he opens the drawer and a collar falls off of it, like a man's collar. And that's how he knows that she's been seeing another man, you know? So it's kind of like subtle in that way. Um, that kind of subtlety I think we're much more used to now than in the twenties. So it's not as impressive or, you know, it doesn't hit you the same way nowadays, but it was definitely interesting for anyone who is kind of like a Charlie Chaplin fan, like myself, I wouldn't say it was my favorite. I do think that um, he uh, hits best for me when he's also acting in the movies. I don't know if any of you have seen this one. I haven't. I haven't. I didn't know that he had ones that he directed that he wasn't in. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder maybe the fact that it was kind of like a disappointment commercially um, is is not talked about as much. Maybe he, I don't know if he, how he felt about it, probably kind of conflicted about, you know, going in to do something different and then not really kind of working out. All right, so um, I think that will bring us to our main topic of the day, which is the movie Senso. It is a 1954 Italian historical melodrama. It was directed by Lucchino Visconti, and it stars um, Alida Valli, sorry, Alida Valli, who is playing kind of like a countess, a Venetian countess, Countess Livia Serpieri. And she uh, is living in Venice during the time of the Italian unification. So Venice is under control of the Austrians, but Italy is gaining independence. And the, you know, the, the movement is moving towards, towards Venice. They're going to liberate or you know, fight in Venice to kick the Austrians out. And just around the time that this is happening, she happens to fall in love with an Austrian lieutenant played by Farley Granger, who people might remember from... I think it's Strangers on a Train, right, mm-hmm. that he's in? Yeah. And also Rope, maybe? Anyway, um, Hitchcock kind of actor. Um, and they have kind of like this doomed love affair in the background, historical background. Again, very operatic, very melodramatic, um, big movie. I personally really enjoy Visconti, and I really love his melodramas. And I know that, Manish, you have a history with this movie as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, <laughs> about 10 years ago, I really went through, that's why I, I really discovered Criterion Collection like about 10 years ago. And it, it was like this like big thing for me, you know, because I was a young cinephile. I, just, I was like, wow, like there's this whole label with all these like classic movies. It's it all very exciting. And I, I don't remember if I had watched Senso on Hulu back when, you know, Criterion had Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, or so I went back when Hulu had Criterion movies, or if I just like bought this on like a blind buy, I don't actually remember. But I fell in love with this movie, and I, I mean, I love melodrama in general. Um, you know, stuff like All That Heaven Allows, and um, you know, Pedro Almodovar mm-hmm. movies, of course. Like, you know, I, I'll I, I really enjoy this sort of like big emotion, you know, ex- exquisite camera work and set design, and you know, these very. Um, you know, grand performances uh, and sort of like lavishness. Um, so I really took this movie. I watched it so many times. You know, in that in that time period, um, and I it was so inspired by this movie that I was 
this is also back when I was like in my I was like doing a lot of screenwriting classes and taking a lot of like screenwriting um, like I was a part of a, a writing group for a while so I had kind of outlined a modern remake of this movie oh um, yeah you're anticipating a remake section <laughs> yeah basically yeah yeah um, and uh, oh god this is 10 years ago but I feel like I remember exactly like how the story would play out where it was I updated it to be about an, an election where this woman uh, sh- her husband is running for I think governor or something and uh, you know he's running as a Republican and she she was a former like liberal activist and she was like told that she needs to like tone down her politics so that to help his campaign and she's feel very stifled he's very dismissive and neglectful of her and uh, she goes into this piano bar and this very handsome guy and see, is singing her favorite song <laughs> and they fall into this torrid affair and she decides to like throw away her reputation and you know really sacrifice everything to be with this guy and it ends kind of the same way Senso does um mm. and uh, I, I was really excited to write it but then I realized I don't know anything about politics or like how <laughs> elections work and like how that kind of like I just like didn't have I didn't do the research on like how to like this would actually mm-hmm. play out in real life. So somewhere <laughs> on some computer, some old computer, there's like 10 pages of the first act of this movie and somewhere there's an outline. But yeah, I was really, I mean, like Senso was like, it was such a big movie for me when I was, you know, in my 20s. And like, I, I mean, I had the Blu-ray still and I, I, I realized I hadn't watched it in like six years or so. Um, and I was so excited to revisit it. I mean, it was, it was like, it was fortuitous that you had invited me on this podcast because I was Senso was one of those movies where I'm like, I feel like I've seen it so many times that if I want to watch it again, it's like, well, I could just watch something I haven't watched, you know? <laughs> um, but, but it was always like, I've always wanted to rewatch it, but then also feeling like it was such a big part of my life mm-hmm, that like, I'm mm-hmm. almost afraid to watch it as well. Cause I'm oh. like, what if it doesn't hold up to my memory of it? You know, like what if it's not as good as I remember or if I like, so how did um, it go this time then revisiting it? I mean, it? I honestly I felt like I was taken right back to that phase. Like I really enjoyed it a lot this time, and I, I the movie has so much more nuance when I'm in my thirties than I thought when I was in my twenties, and it was um, yeah, it was quite it was quite an experience. I mean, I, I felt like such a rush of those emotions, and you know, having had my own experiences with dating. And trying to track down, you know, dates who are very uh, closed off. <laughs> this, uh, this had a nerve for me as well. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was a really fun fun rewatch, and, and it was nice to think back to that old screenplay. Um, and thinking back to how I thought it was, you know, like like thinking back to like what politics were like pre-Trump, you know, it's kind of interesting oh, thing sure. of like, you know, nowadays I would never write a Republican character just because it, it, that just carries so much weight um, and says a lot about a character that I, you wouldn't attend. But um, yeah, it was just, it was just, it was nice to, to be back and, and ha- enjoying those memories again. And, you know, back when I was, you know, trying to like become a screenwriter in like a professional sense. And yeah, it was, <laughs> So this movie, I mean, I'm really glad to be here and I'm excited to hear our thoughts on the film, but I really enjoyed it this time around. I thought it was right. quite a um, quite a fun movie to, to watch and to get swept up in all the emotion and the, you know, mise-en-scene and the costumes and the acting. Yeah, we'll definitely talk more about all of that uh, splendor uh, that, you, that you're mentioning and the production value. Uh, but before we get into more details and questions, Rachel, what did you think? I think this was your first time watching it, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, this is my first time watching it, and I really enjoyed it. I It is definitely, it's got all the melodrama that you could want. It kind of reminded me a little bit of The Red Shoes, I think, and oh, tone okay. and, and feel, and uh, and. The, it was very interesting to me with them having Farley Granger in this movie because mm-hmm. uh, I can't think of hardly any uh, foreign films where they have an American actor speaking another language. Obviously, he's dubbed here, mm-hmm. but I mean, I was trying to think of the best I could come up with is like the the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I don't know. I was just trying to think of well, what is a you know a main a big release in another language, featuring 
a, an American actor speaking that yeah. language. I don't know, just very unusual, I feel like. Well, it wasn't uncommon in Italian cinema because one of the weird idiosyncrasies of Italian cinema was that they would always dub every movie that they did, even yeah. if it was just with Italian actors. They wouldn't record sound and they would go into the booth later and then they would have all the actors speak their lines. So that allowed them to cast foreigners a lot, you know, big stars from France and from all over Europe and obviously from America. Um, so, like, you know, movies like, for example, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which was made in Italy, um, that was overdubbed later. So, you know, you have Clint Eastwood and Eli mm. Wallach or whatever. And obviously in those movies, they dubbed their English language uh, voices because it, they were made in English. But there was also an Italian version that was dubbed but, you know, so by other people. I don't think Clint Eastwood was speaking Italian and doing the dub. But um, so that's kind of how it worked. And I that's think... Interesting. Yeah, and I think definitely Farley Granger was one of those things where I think the producers were wanting to get a, a you know an attractive American name in order to get commercial appeal. Mm -hmm. um, the other movie that that I love from Visconti, which is similar to Sensa, which he made in 1963, called The Leopard, which is also takes place during the Italian unification, has Burt Lancaster playing like an Italian count, mm -hmm. you know, or, or kind of or a duke or something like that. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of very a very interesting element of of this movie as well, uh, and I guess it works because he's playing you know the kind of this Austrian foreigner officer. I don't know if you agree mm -hmm. with that, Rich, that he kind of like works in the role despite the kind of like the weirdness of that element. Yeah, yeah, I think it works really well, and I just was looking at his career. I mean, he had a prolific career. He was a way bigger star than I I realized. It was interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, he did a ton of movies and, uh, uh, and I don't know, somebody that, I mean, I had seen strangers on train and rope, but I had no idea that he was like a star. I don't know. Was, yeah. 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 That's true. That it's not one of those stars that people talk about as much anymore, I guess. Like, I, it's hard for me to gauge how famous he was at his height, but I guess he was pretty famous, right? Uh -huh. If they were trying to get him in order to get commercial appeal in an Italian movie. Evidently, he was the king of the Broadway flops, too. Oh, really? <laughs> was, yeah, that he was a, in a whole bunch of really uh, big name bombs on Broadway. <laughs> so oh, I, I did not know that about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but... But yeah, I mean, this movie, it, it also kind of reminds me a little bit of Gone with the Wind in ways, sort of the, the melodrama uh, and the, the kind of toxic relationships. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great point. I think definitely, uh, there, especially the grandeur, you know, that, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, kind of like war sequence towards the, the end of the movie, it's, it's really huge. I was super, super taken by, by the amount of... of well, it, it's constant throughout the movie, but just the, the scale of everything. And this is something that happened to me when I watched The Leopard as well, which is the, the movie. I saw it when it played in New York about four years ago in the big screen. And that was a great experience because it's in, you know, it's in widescreen and it was in a, in a print that looked beautiful. And it has this, this castles and, you know, Italian vistas and fight sequence, the whole towns of people fighting. And you do get so, a lot of that in Senso as well. Um, you know, that kind of grandeur and, and spectacle that you, Manish, were talking about. I mean, I don't know about you, but just seeing, I feel like, you know, they are living in these castles and you can tell that they're actual castles in Italy, you know, that, that they're inhabiting. And so you can see the countryside and when they're fighting, you can see the castle in the distance and it's actually where it is. So I don't know, there's just something really, really spectacular about that, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, they, they don't make as many sort of bittersweet movies like this uh, that they would want to give it a happier ending now. That as well, for sure. And I think that um, is very um, on point with what the movie is trying to say. And I guess from, from all the research I did about Visconti as a person, as a director, that seems to be kind of like a, a recurring element. I know that the both this movie and the leopard that I was talking about. And I keep talking about it because they're very similar. They take place around the same time and they're these period epics. Um, they kind of end in similar kind of very melancholy, bittersweet notes. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I wanted to ask you, Manish, because you, you mentioned the nuances that came up watching it again 
these many years later and i wanted to see if you can tell us a little bit more about like you know your reaction then versus now and what stood out to you in comparison yeah i think um the i think the the main thing that i really noticed was um the loneliness in in livia's character and how much how manipulative frank or franz was um, from the beginning, hmm. I think uh, when I was younger and sort of in a more naively romantic state of life, um, I it didn't quite hit me just how much she was using her from the beginning, and it seems so obvious now, hmm. you know, when, when you rewatch it, um, and just like how much of you know uh, how how kind of divorced she was from sort of the reality that's right in front of her and how much her actions and decisions and choices were kind of driven by this almost like mad lust that she had. And, hmm. um, and I found that to be really powerful this time because I felt it, it made this less of a sweeping romance that I thought it was and more of a, um, you know, a, a tragedy a more of a, you know, romantic, you know, uh, a, yeah, tragedy and, and story that's very melancholy as you say mm-hmm. so um and it also makes the ending feel very inevitable i remember the first time i watched this movie it was a shock to me the ending and i was you know looking for that kind of happy ending and you know now that i've you know i've watched more classic and international film i've studied more of them i've you know i have more of an understanding so i kind of see that you know the way this movie ends is kind of the only way it can end. Hmm. Um, but uh, I, th- I, th- I think the, the one thing that I really noticed this time was just how much of it is, you know, this, I, you know, and uh, how much is she really throwing away her, her entire life? And, and you know, the, the scenes where she goes into, you know, his, um, you know, his hostel yeah. or, or whatever. And even toward, you know, there's the one line that I forgot was, you know, when one of the guys is teasing her saying, you know, she doesn't say that she likes it, but she comes anyway. And this idea hmm. that like everyone, like it, it really hit me this much of like how much she is really putting on the line for this affair and how much she's like losing in terms of her, her reputation, her self-respect. And, I found it to be a really powerful thing of just like, you know, what, you know, like what can she, you know, what's the limit for her? Like how much she can, how much can she really um, give herself over to this situation that, she, that she's in and, and how yeah. little she's getting back out of it. I mean, sure. She's probably, you know, I'm sure that like he is um, satisfying her, you know, in a more lustful way. Sure. But like, I think what she's craving, she's still not getting Mm-hmm. And I find that to be just really sad in a really interesting and beautiful way. I think you bring up some great points. I think the movie does a great job, like you were hinting at, with um, showing what she's losing and, and showing the status that she has, right? She is a countess and she's living in a world where, you know, aristoc- aristocracy and royalty is you know, how the world works and the caste difference and like, you know, social differences are very, very strong. And she is giving all of that away in order to go with this, you know, low ranking officer in the Austrian army. Not only that, but she is, you know, an Italian at a time when nationalism is really strong and the, and the country's uniting and her cousin, we learn early in the movie, is part of the revolutionary Italian army, and she has sympathies with that. But then all of us, but her husband doesn't. Her husband's more of a functionary of the Austrian government, and then she falls in love with an Austrian officer. So that's even more like you know, politics yeah. is really at the center of it as well. And I loved what you said about the central relationship being, you know, either being swept into it or. Or seeing, you know, his kind of like his scheming from the beginning. I have to say that I had trouble watching the movie this, you know, for the first time for this episode. Um, I, I kept something kept bothering in me, and I was keeps keep thinking like, why, you know, this, there's something off about this guy. Why is she yeah. falling in love with him? What's going on with him? And then at the end, it all kind of like clicked and made sense. Um, 
but I wanted to bring this up and, and ask Rachel about it because Rachel, you are, you know, Miss Chemistry. You're always talking about the chemistry between actors <laughs> and the romance. So mm-hmm. I was very curious to to ask you about what your experience of the romantic relationship in this movie was and you what you thought of it. Yeah, I do think that they have pretty good chemistry at the beginning. You can see why she becomes obsessed with him. Mm. Uh, but he is so mean to her. It is brutal. That that second half with the with Oof. the prostitute and him just openly mocking her. That scene uh, is so awkward is, and so hard yes, to watch. Yeah. Um, and, but I don't think it would have been as awkward if they hadn't established the chemistry in mm. the first part of the film. What do you think is the the biggest chemistry moment when they're walking down the street at night, probably, right? When they're walking around? Um, yeah, I'm trying to... Trying to remember. remember. There's that part when he kind of escorts her around the city at night and then they find the death officer, but then they're also kind of like flirting with each other. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a pretty good moment of chemistry, yeah. personally. Yeah, and it's pretty racy for 1954 we don't we don't think about that these kind of movies uh made in the 50s (laughs) yeah i guess so i guess you're right about that you know the prostitute and everything well yeah well you know i think well actually i think he did get in trouble with the censors in italy at at many different points throughout his career i don't know what the reaction (laughs) was to this movie in particular i mean this is the same year as knights of cabiria isn't it so i think you know italians were always much more progressive than Americans. <laughs> well, it's interesting because they're yeah, progressive in some ways, but but they're also very Catholic and very you know uh, yeah. restrictive in others. So it's so it's interesting to compare what was acceptable at different countries mm-hmm. at different times, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't write down a specific moment, but uh, that I I thought the. I thought their whole meeting, they had chemistry at the opera and they meet. Oh, yeah. Well, that opera, you know, talk about operatic. The whole movie starts with this scene of the opera where they're playing a a Giuseppe Verdi opera. And, you know, there's a lot of Austrians in the audience, but all the Italians kind of like throw confetti that is like red white and green which is the colors of the flag and they're talking about you know send the foreigners out of italy and there's all this rousing kind of like this this whole set piece and this is something else that i loved about this movie that it has this long set piece scene set at this spectacular um locations you know there's the opera then there's the obviously the war scene but there's also the scene in which he sneaks into her house and then the scene at the end that we were talking when she comes to his place with the prostitute and that that whole section that I really it gave me a sense of almost like watching yeah like watching a play or an opera you know and there's a long the whole act is taking place in this one one location and it's really you know cameras going around the whole place and you can see the splendor of the castles that we're in and the costumes like you know we were saying before I really yeah. love that and it's interesting too because uh, Italy is famous for having government upheaval, I guess you might say. Uh, And this was after the third Italian war of independence. And Mm -hmm. they've had 69 governments since 1945 in Italy. Uh, So they, uh, they don't stay long with sort of their, uh, their governments. (laughs) They, uh, it's just part of that culture, I think obviously when the movie is taking place there's a huge deal about you know basically creating an italian state which didn't exist before the mid 19th Mm -hmm. century um you know it was kind of occupied by france by austria but other great european powers so there's a lot of like you know nationalism and and history behind there i think we should probably get into our questions though because we've been talking about for a while um and i'll bring some of my other notes while we talk about them the first one is what do we think makes this a criterion film? So um, Manish, why don't you start since you have such a long history with it and you actually own the criterion uh, DVD of it. So uh, what do you think uh, makes this a perfect criterion movie? I think it's influence of course, upon filmmakers like Scorsese and also, you know, Franco Zaffarelli and I think Rossellini were also, they were both working on the film or they were working with, Visconti. So this movie, I think, is sort of this and like the Leopard. I think are like and Rocco and his brothers are like the sort of touchstones of his career. And you know, I I think 
this is a, a prime example of, I think, melodrama at its most expressionistic and most political um, in, in sort of, to me, this is melodrama in its most quintessential form. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if, if we're going to call melodrama a genre unto itself and give it the respect that we give other genres, which I personally think we should, to me, this is sort of a codifier and sort of a crystallization of a lot of those genre trappings that, um, you know, that melodrama fans such as myself enjoy about those mm-hmm. movies. I think that's very true, and and we are fans of melodrama on this podcast. Um, so, <laughs> yes. Rachel, what do you think? Yeah, I think the director uh, that it feels unique. Like we don't get a ton of uh, movies like this made anymore. Uh, I feel mm-hmm. like they, if they made it now, they'd want to kind of explain Franz and give him like a sympathetic backstory, and you know, sort of, so we don't get just these pure kind of characters as much anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I think those are all great points. I think that this is a good Criterion movie because it's beautiful. And, and yeah. you know, it's great that they have, like, these restorations and you can get a Blu-ray of it that looks fantastic, you know. Um, and I don't know if they have a 4K uh, Blu-ray coming up or, or if... Because they, I would be very interested in getting that because that must look incredible. Um, like we, like I was saying, the, the scope of the movie, I think, is huge. Every scene every frame looks beautiful uh, almost like a painting at times um, and I and I really just love just looking at it I do want to uh, go back to what we were saying about the political element uh, because you know Lucchino Visconti he's an interesting character in that regard because he was born uh, into an aristocratic family that is literally you know he was the kind of descendant of the kind of royalty that that we see in this movie, you know, he was a count, like he grew up in a palace when he was a kid, basically. And um, he's part of that world. However, he was also a communist, which is very interesting and very unusual for someone who comes from that background. Um, and how are, how can you be both, uh, you know, a member of the highest aristocracy and a communist? I think you're very conflicted about it. And I think that comes through in these movies, right? I think you can see, a vision of history that is kind of, you know, it's, I think even in this movie, it's kind of Marxist in the way of like, you know, the, the Marxist idea of history is that communism is, will happen. And it's the logical end of, of history. And in this movie kind of has a, a feeling of like history is coming, the world is changing. And, you know, the characters, France and Olivia uh, talk about it towards the end when France tells her the world that's coming, there's no place for me in that one. I'm a coward. I am a traitor you know, and, and I feel fine about it and I don't, I'm not going to belong anymore. And she is losing her, her, you know, her regal life as a countess as well. But, you know, at the same time, we see the beauty of, of that life and what is appealing about it. And Visconti was lived, you know, despite being a communist, he lived in splendor and in a mansion until the end of his life. So, you know, he was also kind of, feeling i mean and obviously who wouldn't if you have all that money and all that luxury it's hard to give it up even if you feel like it's the right thing for society or whatever right so and i think that that comes through in this movie that comes through in the leopard and that makes it a very interesting i actually read an article by a.o scott in the new york times and he called uh he described his he said that um Visconti's historical films are essays disguised as operas and i think that kind of fits that bill and my interpretation of it. I don't know if you guys have thoughts about this. That's a really good quote. Um, Cause and I, and I agree. And I, and I think, I think, you know, Visconti, of course, his movies are all very political, but I think melodrama in, I think inherently is political. I, I think it's, you know, movies like gone with the wind and, and all that heaven allows and other such movies. I, I think there's something inherently um, bringing in, sort of the politics of the day and gender dynamics and all that. Mm. And, I, and I think, you know, issues like class and, and um, are always kind of being brought up in, in movies like this. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, I would love to read that uh, piece. I, oh, yeah. I'll share it I, with you 
for sure. Yeah, definitely, because I think that that's a really great quote, and I think it really speaks well to Visconti's career. Mm-hmm. And I think you make a great point about melodrama because you know sometimes a lot of melodramas are about doomed romance, and a lot of the times finding a way what makes it doomed is that it's something that is not accepted in society. And by that, you will be looking at those, you know, things that are frowned upon either politically or, you know, because of like you were saying, because of gender or or prejudice or race and things like that. So that's a good point. Um, That brings us to our next question, I guess, which is where do you think this ranks in the pretentiousness scale um, what do you think, Rachel, in terms of pretentiousness for this one? I actually think it's pretty accessible. I I, I gave it a four uh, on the scale. I, it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to kind of digest. It's got a easy... To me, the pretentiousness is when you, you kind of don't have a plot or you have sort of a muddled plot. That, to me, it tends to be more pretentious. This is, I think, pretty easy to follow. And uh, if someone's looking for the melodrama or, you know, a tragedy... Uh, I think they will, you know, will like this movie. So yeah, I give it a four. Okay. Okay. Manish, what do you think? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think this movie, I, I don't have the exact facts to back this up, but I feel like this movie might've been like a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Might've been a big hit. And, and I think, you know, it's, I think it might be pretentious to some just because it is an Italian and it's over two hours long. <laughs> sure. So, you know, some people might just be turned off by that. Um, but I think that if you can kind of get past that, um, it's definitely, I agree, it's very accessible. I think it has a really compelling story. Um, and for all of its sort of political undertones, at the end, it's also just a really well-told romantic drama. And I think that will appeal to most anyone Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I think you both bring up great points. And I think I agree with that last sentiment, especially, you know, despite the fact that I just gave this whole political reading of the movie, <laughs> I think that essentially, you know, pretty much anyone can watch it and be just swept away with like the incredible visuals and the splendor and the emotions and the romance and the and the fighting sequences and the historical epic element of it. So I do think as well that it's very um, approachable and, and, you know, I think there's a pretentious undercurrent in it, but because it's an undercurrent, you know, the, what's in the foreground is very easily enjoyable and, 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 and approachable as well. So I would put it probably halfway through, like at a five or a six. Uh, Manish, did you say a number? Uh, I'll give it a, a, a four as well. A four as well. Okay, so you guys are, are going a little lower than me, but I think that's pretty accurate. We're kind of like in the same ballpark. Um and that brings us actually to our last segment of the episode, which is one of our favorites. Although Manish already gives a hint about, you know, <laughs> what, what he would have done with this movie, which is the, doing the remake um, pitch in which we kind of like see how would we do it if we were to update this movie or, or make a new version. Um, so we heard a little bit from Manish's idea and we'll hear a little more. But uh, Rachel, do you have any ideas? Yeah, I feel like if you were going to remake this movie... Like, you have to have Lady Gaga. Like, she's the <laughs> obvious choice. Uh, and Talk about an American uh, going <laughs> into dubbing in Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, I actually think that I would be interested to see what Ridley Scott would do with this story. Because last year, he had two movies that were flawed, but their scope was pretty impressive and particularly the last duel uh Mm -hmm. with it being uh having political undertones and being an allegory and i mean i didn't love the movie but i thought it was really well made and it captured sort of a spirit of melodrama Mm -hmm. uh that i think you know and then he had house of gucci um Mm -hmm. with With lady Lady Gaga. gaga and i think both of those movies there's a certain melodrama a certain camp I mean, not as much camp well, for Last Duel, but uh, definitely Gucci. Gucci for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I think that I'd be interested to see what he would do. Mm-hmm. With a, I feel like he's one of those directors that's still getting the the big budgets to make dramas, and you don't see that as much. Yeah, that's uh, for sure. Um, he's getting the but. Well, both of those things are for sure. He's making a Napoleon movie, I think. So it'd be interesting oh, really? to see what that. But that's like it. Yeah, I think Joaquin Phoenix maybe is playing Napoleon. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I heard. Um, I, I think I'm going to 
take your Lady Gaga and and take just like take that from you already. And and but uh, you know, go in the direction we were talking about before of having American actors in Italy uh, speaking or being overdubbed in Italian. And the you know, I, I thought that the obvious. Uh, person to direct a remake of this movie would be Luca Guadagnino, you know, oh. like, you know, big Italian romance filmmaker, opulence and melodrama. He's also, he's still queer, like Visconti was. That's also very true. And his movie, I Am Love, which I don't know if you guys have seen, I feel like Manish, you probably have seen it. Um, oh, yeah. Sounds very much up your alley with Tilda Swinton. Uh, it's very, feels very much like a, it feels kind of like Senso, actually, now that I think about it. It has that element of glamour and, and romance and doomed romance to it um so that was my but i thought that was maybe too obvious um and i ended up going with another italian director that i really love who's uh, pietro marcello who directed the movie martin eden i don't know if people saw that one uh, but i was a big fan of it and it does have a very strong political point of view so in that sense it would be interesting to see what someone does when they bring a little bit more of that element to the story with the historical opulence and with the Lady Gaga of it all, I think it would be an interesting um, way to go. Yeah, I think Lady Gaga is a great choice. And, and I think what's interesting about Lady Gaga is that, you know, she I, I would put money on the fact that she's seen this movie and that she likes this movie uh, just because <laughs> of... Um, you know, her whole persona is very theatrical. It's very cinematic. Um, and, you know, her doing a movie, I mean, her doing um, A Star is Born and and um, House of Gucci, I think it's, you know, she clearly leans into the melodrama. Because mm-hmm. um, I think A Star is Born is kind of the closest movie we got in a long time, at least an American movie, that really spoke to this, you know, romantic melodrama. Um parts mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree lady gaga um i'm thinking there's so many young hot guys that could play the father granger role like <laughs> you know harry styles type or um <laughs> sure. that guy from ted lasso that everyone likes you know i, I think um oh God, yeah yeah <laughs> you know these kind of like very yeah, like uh good looking guys that i so um that could also be a little mean and manipulative um mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting story. Regarding director, I mean, Guadagnino is a great choice. And, I, again, I would put money on the side. I mean, I think I'm Love, of course, is a really good connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I would love to see, like, a, a woman make a movie like this. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I almost yeah. picked as Jane Campion, which I think yeah. interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about her as well. Like, you know, Mary Heron is, you know, also. I know she does more. She's more into, like, the horror thing. But mm. um, I think she has a very... Um, you know her uh, her her filmmaking is also very detailed. It's very lavish. So I could easily see her, you know, make a melodrama like this. And 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 you know, I think American Psycho being such an interesting exploration of a certain type of man, I think she would kind of do wonders with the Franz character as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are all really good ideas. What about if you were to make uh, your movie, Manish, that you wrote the screenplay? Do you think Lady Gaga would work for that? Ugh. I, I, I would only hope so. I was always picturing someone <laughs> a little older, like in their 40s. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I, I guess like, the character is supposed to be a little older. Definitely yeah, older uh, than France. Yeah, I mean, Lady Gaga, I mean, she must be around my age. So she definitely would be older than like a 25-year-old. She's 36. Yeah, so she's, I mean, she's almost in her 40s. You could give her like another eight, six years. Okay, okay. Um, we have well, six years to rewrite the script. The ending, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I was picturing like a like a Viola Davis or like a Diane Lane or, or like even like a, mm. you know, like someone in, in that with that kind of like poise and um, sophistication. Not that Lady Gaga doesn't have that, but, you know, someone a little bit more maturity. That's some, I was always picturing someone like that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who like reads, Lady Gaga still to me, she could be 20, she could be 30, you know. Um, but someone with a little bit more of like stateliness. Sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, all right. So those were some pretty interesting remake ideas. Um, that brings us to the close of the show. I don't know. Do we have any final thoughts about Senso? Anything you would like to say, Manish? Obviously, you've had a long history with this movie. So is there anything else you want to see maybe to the audience who might be thinking about checking it out? Yeah, I think, um, you know, this movie, we didn't really talk about the costume design, but I wanted to give it a shout out because I, I think 
this I would like to think this movie has a little bit more of a tongue in cheek than you might imagine. Like I think a lot of you know, uh, uh, Livia has very elaborate, very fussy costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, I to me feels a little comical. You know, like when she's like visiting him in in like his hostel or at the end, she just looks a little ridiculous in her like veil and get up and hoop and everything. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, this movie is very serious. It's a melodrama. It's very passionate, but I think there are elements of, I wouldn't say comedy, but a little bit more lightness, a little bit more, um, uh, you know, I, I, it's a little bit amused a little sometimes. And I, I think in a way that's quite effective and, you know, so I, if anyone is deterred by the fact this movie seems very serious, it is, but there are a little bit moments of levity, a little bit of, you know, where Visconti is using his, his camera, his, his actors in a way that's a little bit not, it doesn't, it's not as stuffy as as one might imagine. I mean, I think there are some strong elements of like, you know, farce and almost even camp especially that section when he appears at the at the country manor all of a sudden in the middle of the night and she's kind of like trying to hide him from everyone who's there and she's you know and you see her fate worried face she's like mugging a little bit you're like oh my god i'm gonna be (laughs) caught and then the 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 maid comes in with his clothes knocking at the door and she has his cape you know it's you know so i think you're definitely right that there is a lot of variety in terms of of the emotional range of this movie for sure there's you know there's there's like i was saying there's battle scenes there's romance there's it starts with an opera and there's huge crowd shots and also intimate moments in small rooms i would definitely recommend this to most people listening if they're interesting at all in um in you know uh, kind of like a period romance of this kind what about you rachel any final thoughts yeah no i agree with everything that's been said uh her dry i've written down my notes her dresses are huge they yeah. really were. I mean, it reminded me of a not quite as big as in The King and I, but uh, it had that sort of style, mm-hmm. which you don't see mm-hmm. that often. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a fun watch, uh, and uh, so thank you to Manish for uh, coming on. And uh, definitely, we should, we should say what we are doing next time. We are. Yes going to be uh going to the 80s and uh and our uh we're talking about Whit stillman's metropolitan so that's mm-hmm. gonna be fun another aristocrat of sorts kind yes. of you know kind of like high class <laughs> manhattan vibe so not and, too far off from sense and guess. it is a loose jane austen uh adaptation of her book mansfield park and also it is a christmas movie so it's it's really hitting on all the buttons for me yeah definitely <laughs> uh, yeah I'm really looking forward to that I do l- like with Stillman's movies a lot so mm-hmm. and I haven't seen this one actually so I'm excited so that will be fun uh, that will be fun that'll be coming to you in about two weeks from now uh, in the meantime Manish thank you so much for coming would you like to remind the people listening just one more time where they can find you on the internet yeah you can find me on Twitter at vertigay314 uh also, follow my podcast at Podtribute, which you can find pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. So uh, check that out if that at all sounds interesting to you. Yeah, definitely check that out. That's a great podcast. Um, I've been a guest. I'm sure Rachel will be a guest at some point because she loves yes. romance movies. and she I would love that guests. more than anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you so much again. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at CriterionPod. And we would also really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That would really help us find more listeners. You can find me also on Twitter at CocoHitsNY. And you can watch my web series, Wormholes, on YouTube if you search Wormholes the series. Rachel, where can people find you? You can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. Bye.